What's, uh, so what's on your mind, Wimpy? Uh, Chris and Colonel Linux probably know the answer to this. So I've got an old microphone uh, with um, a screw hole in the bottom of it that I imagine is some sort of standard. Is it a standard? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's for like, so, a, like, for like mounting on a tripod. Yeah, yeah. What I was thinking is, um, could I get like um, uh, an arm that I can attach to the desk and screw this into it? And do I have to buy anything clever or specific, or is mm. it just a general thing? No. Does it, it look? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, is it, does it look like it's about five eighths of an inch? Because that um, is a really great arm that uses a standard uh, a standard microphone five eighths inch mount. Okay, I'm going to have to get my granddad's ruler out of the garage to tell you if it's five eighths. <laughs> well, the chances are, if there's a screw hole <laughs> at the bottom of the microphone, I highly doubt it would be anything else. But just the same, you may like. Do you, ha- do you have any other microphone stand that you can look and see? There, it, it is. There is a standard, and I believe it's five eighths of an inch. No, this is, this is an old. This is an old mic. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. That looks about. That looks about similar. So the reason I'm saying about getting my granddad's thing out is because we're metric over here now for measurements. Mm. So although so although we can speak um, feet and inches and all the rest of it, um, when you get down to sub-inch measurements, I've got no idea what that looks like. <clears throat> but okay. Uh- if, you wanted, uh, if you wanted if you wanted a a desktop boom arm though that is what I would get because it comes with both the clamp and the mount so you can either screw it into the desk or you can clamp it uh, clamp it down onto the edge of a desk and it's still only fifty bucks. And it's probably much more. Yeah, I prefer to screw um, it into the about, desk. what um... about? You're on a roll today. It's because of the photos we were taking before another. the show started. I think I think we got me. things rolling. I can see why you've got three kids, Chris. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> um, what about um, isolators? Um, the, the the rings that you mount the, the oh yeah, like the spider to. mount. Yeah, yeah. Are they any good? Well, they'll they'll help you from stuff like like uh, any kind of noise transfer like this from the table, or like you know when we when we this is like me picking up Angela's water bottle. They'll help isolate. Is that what that, that is? Yeah. Yeah, I can't really hear that. So the thing is, is that obviously I've got my keyboard and what have you on the desk. So mm. I'm thinking yeah. I might want to be typing and clattering away whilst yeah. I'm doing stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, it's nice to have a spider mount, if, especially if you're not doing video. Then you know that's the only reason I don't have one really is because they're horrible in, in on video. They cover half your right. face in front of a camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't got that to worry about. And yeah. frankly, if anything covered my face up, I have a, I have a face for radio. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, and what mic are you using? I know oh, you've told um, us once before, but I, I couldn't tell you. It's oh, okay. um, some old, old crap that I had when I used to be in a band that I got out the loft. Um, there's no uh, brand or model number on it. It's just um, a generic mic that I've um, uh, Jimmy rigged with some USB adapters. Mm. Yeah, I sounds don't know. good. I think the was it the AT AT two twenty is like the what is the there's the eight there's an AT that's a good USB mount uh, mic AT twenty 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 and then they have the AT twenty twenty USB which has a built in uh, analog to digital converter that's nice play on Linux is switching to Java did you guys see that really In yeah. twenty fifteen oh that's what they're doing and play yeah and, and play on Linux is switching to I know I know they even have uh, they even have a little of the screenshot up here. Uh, uh, so I guess part of the reason is because Ubuntu 15.10 is going to drop Python 2 and their main problem was WX Python 
even WX Python 3.0 does not support Python 3X. Play on Linux is a version code is really ugly, and we don't want to maintain it any longer. Moreover, because of bad design and changing WX Python to another library as much as it takes, as much effort, we can completely rewrite the program. We really want to have clean code for Play on Linux 5. Python is really great, but working with a dy- dynamically typed has a lot of drawbacks when it comes to design and strong designed architecture. So they're going to have the core written in Java. Play on Linux 5 scripts would be written in Python. Goodbye, Bash. With a Play on Linux 4, version 4 Bash script interpreter would be written in Python for backwards compatibility. Play on Linux going Java. Is this going to kill it, you think? Oh, I, I, I've got so many things going through my mind at the moment. Um, well, I'm familiar with, I, I'm very familiar with Python and, and Wix, and Wix never really delivered on its promise. We Unfortunately, we have an application at work that we developed in Wix, and hmm. we realize now that was not such a smart move, but, you know, six years ago, that, that looked like the right thing to do. Hmm. Um, if we were doing it today, we'd use one of the um, cute uh, wrappers for, for Python. We'd still use Python, though. Um, but going to Java because of a, a widget library issue seems like um, an unusual rationalization. Right. I'm wondering if there must have been a preference in the team for Java already. That this Maybe, just made it easier? If they've got, if they're strong on yeah. Java programming skills, yeah. then that would be the reason why it makes sense. Yeah. So why Java, not another language? As said, Java is static in a compiled language. It means that it's easier to write clean code. And it also means that a large part of the problems are detected during compilation to avoid bugs. But Java is a good choice for several other reasons. The code would be compatible with Linux and OS X with no effort. Hmm. I guess OS X is an issue. It's uh, well, also true of Python, Yeah. frankly. Uh, it's the most widely spread language. There's another reason for them. And there are many frameworks and libraries we could use to measure code quality to run tests. Boy, those are not super strong reasons, in my opinion. And... All, all because a lot of people use it as not a, except yeah. yeah yeah a lot of that applies I mean, yeah i saw a banner i saw a banner i don't know if it was an advert or something from oracle saying you know java on six billion devices but of course most of those are android which they would contest is actually java <laughs> i think it's mac support play on linux wants to target mac os otherwise why wouldn't you just big, use is that what, a big gaming platform no, that's why I think it's silly. But, you know, I have talked to the CEO of Crossover, and it is what keeps their business afloat. In fact, he told me that if it wasn't for the Mac sales, they probably would have shut down. They wow. still make their Linux product, but they make the majority of their revenue on the Mac sales. I think it's just a larger user base. But, you know, the Macs have such crappy video cards across the board on average. So, I, yeah. uh, I mean, half of their line just ships with only Intel graphics. Qt seems like it would yeah, have been which, a lot more sensical, and I just don't get Java. So unless it's for OS ten, don't you think? Uh, well, like I say, um, we, we um, maintain uh, multi-platform tools in Python at work, uh, not Mac as it happens, but Windows and mm, Linux. Okay. And um, there's there are some well the, the same and similar issues. We have slightly more complex issues than most because of the nature of the work that we do. Um, so the abstractions that we have to do are very low down, uh, sort of at the at the, the hardware layer. Um, but um, maintaining a multi-platform application on, uh, for, you know, a Python application or a Java application is about the same, really, if you're not doing anything uh, too clever. It sounds like they're using it mm. mostly for their front end rather mm-hmm. than the back end. Mm. So I'd have thought, well, there's lots of languages that would have been straightforward. 
Um, but yeah, maybe they've got people on the team that are particularly proficient in Java and that's why it makes sense because they can speed up the uh, development and, uh, you know, rapidity of their iterations maybe. So every year this Mother's Day thing gets me. Every year I have palpitations mm-hmm. and a moment <laughs> mm-hmm. where I think, oh, shit a brick. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Well, you're so much trouble. And then I remember, actually... We it, did that three months ago. Yeah, I was just going to say, isn't yours like before? It's in March. <laughs> yeah, that is awful. hilarious. But Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, and sure. Google Plus are just full of it's yes. Mother's Day, Happy Mother's Day, and you just have this oh shit moment. Yep. And every the, and it's it's a new thing ever since I've been on the social networks in the last three years, and you suddenly think oh well, and it's just getting worse too. Like t- this Mother's Day. I don't know. I think it's Noah. Somebody's flapping. Um, it's like everybody was saying Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, like, it was, it's it's Mother's no Day longer was a big deal this year. It's no longer just a Happy Mother's Day to your moms. Yeah, it's everybody out there. If you're a mom, you get a yeah. And like I don't. Yeah, you know, it's too much. I think it's yeah. I think it's the homework holiday that I'm just like not interested in oh you say that but then if i hadn't gotten you anything you would have been interested in <laughs> no 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 no. private celebration is fine oh yeah, yeah. But, but yeah i don't know i just private celebration where you get something <laughs> so publicly making it awkward happy mother's day yeah 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 because yeah. i just didn't i didn't want to say happy mother's day to my mother-in-law and my mom on facebook you know and i do want to say happy mother's day to some some friends of mine but you I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to do an all-encompassing one, and I don't yeah. just want to do them because then yeah. other other friends might be like, "Why aren't they? Why isn't she saying it to me?" Like it's just stupid. It's complicated. Yeah, I just send private messages. The answer to this is a PHP script. <laughs> yeah, you're See? right. Probably. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's converting one Mac user over to Linux at a time. My name is Chris. And I'm Angela. Hey there, Angela. You are the Mac user Here I, am. I was speaking of. Yes. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> and I figured, you know, if I could start there and work my way out. Okay. That's one person at a time. One. I'm, and and <laughs> actually, it's it's not only not only have we switched one person, but so far it's stuck. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Angela just recently switched over to Linux. She's rocking a Lenovo Yoga 3, and we'll get an update from her. And she's got like three or four tough questions, Linux desktop questions that she's going to pose to our virtual lug today. Put them to the test and see if they can solve some of the problems that she's ran into in her switch to Linux. And I think you will be surprised and not surprised at some of them. Plus, in the show, we're going to talk about Ubuntu's jump into the Internet of Things with their good buddy, Microsoft. Yeah, Microsoft and Canonical announced a pretty big partnership along with GE and others to ship Ubuntu on Internet of Things devices. What the hell does that mean? And what does this fridge do? We're going to talk about all of that. Plus, we're going to talk about the chip computer, the world's first $9 computer that runs Linux, and what some of the cool things we could do with that. Plus, we've got some follow-up, some catch-up, some feedback. It's a really, really big show. So before we go any further, it is now our duty to bring in our mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings, virtual lug. Hello, Hello. Greetings. Hello, guys. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey, uh, this is a story we've been following on the show, and I just want to do a little follow-up before we get into all of the meat, just to kind of uh, uh, keep a trail going for this uh, new Debian project leader that was elected recently, and the whole talk around uh, PPAs coming over to Debian. Well, he sat down over at uh, Linux.com for an interview, and they asked all kinds of questions. I'll link to that in the show notes if you guys want to read them. But I wanted to get right in on this PPA thing, because I think this is some interest to some of us. 
Uh, he says, there's hundreds of PPAs for Ubuntu. So the question, will they work with Debian? McGovern says, I think this is unlikely. Although Debian has a good relationship with Ubuntu and other downstream distributions, we have different focuses. Keeping all of the main libraries in sync would create a lot of effort to allow this to happen. And it's not something we really have time to do while developing our own distribution. So because of the library differences, Ubuntu PPAs probably won't work on Debian. How difficult will it be for developers who have Ubuntu PPAs to port them over to Debian, he was asked. McGovern answers, I don't think it would be particularly hard, but they're really two different things. Essentially, the work is creating a Debian-compliant package, and then a lot of the preliminary work has been done by by creating the Ubuntu package anyways. So Ange, you're not using Ubuntu, but on Ubuntu, there is a way you can get this thing called a PPA, like a personal package archive. And what that is is like, say you wanted to get a version of Chrome, and you wanted to make sure you always got the latest version of Chrome when Google pushed out a new one, mm-hmm. you could go get a Chrome PPA, and it's a personal archive that you could go then get that software from Google, and then they would keep updating it for you directly from their servers when you do part of your regular system updates. Okay. So these PPAs are like little ways for software makers to put out software to Linux desktop and then people to come sort of subscribe to it to get updates. It's kind of nice. Right. Uh, and so, but Ubuntu is like one of the few distributions that does this kind of system. But Ubuntu is based on Debian. And Debian is considering implementing a system like this. So Debian users have sort of the same functionality. Mm -hmm. But the two systems will not be compatible. So you have two systems, similar name, similar function. But if you make a PPA for Ubuntu, you won't be able to have that PPA run on Debian. Wow, that's dumb. Yeah, that's what happens. (laughs) Why do they conflict? Why can't they both be subscribed? Because the Ubuntu computers have a different set of libraries that the programs use than the Debian computers. And the developers can't expect both to be on. Oh, I see. It's kind of unfortunate, though, right? I mean, from an end user's perspective, that seems a little confusing. But you either run Ubuntu or you run Debian, right? But so you you from the the, what the so what that actually means is exactly right. Is there's going to be a lot more? There'll always be more stuff available for Ubuntu because there's more people on the desktop using Ubuntu, things like that. Is this one way for like software makers to keep a pulse on how many people are actually using mm-hmm. their product? Yeah, for sure, because they're going to get download stats off the repo and stuff. So you're going right. to see every time somebody connects to pull off. So it gives mm-hmm. you an idea of how many people are keeping their software up to date. So it gets you an idea of how many users are out there using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Mumble room, any thoughts? Well, the download thing, they don't really give you much information at all. Like, they give you like a simple download thing, yeah. but it's not. You get, an, you get a number. You, know, you get an idea of how many people have downloaded that package, but there's no real great metrics. I just hope that Debian doesn't call it PPA. That way, there's no confusion. Well, they have been calling them PPAs so far. Hmm. I think they're just kind of describing what they're going to be. But if they call them something else, that would be much better because then there wouldn't be any confusion. We're like, well, this PPA is for Ubuntu and this yeah. is for Debian. And so yeah. On. Yeah, we'll follow it. We'll the see th- what happens. The thing is, in order to submit a, a package to an Ubuntu PPA for building, you have to create a Debian source package. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So once I've done that, I could send that to the Ubuntu PPA system and whatever Debian's, you know, user package repository is. DPA, um, I like it's it. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, what would we call it the other day? Dump. <laughs> Debian <laughs> user managed packages. <laughs> I like that a lot. Hey, the did dump. you take a dump? <laughs> Yeah, put that in the dump. That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, uh, we we have talked a lot about Wayland on the show. We've talked about how great it's going to be, how it's going to change everything. Well, Mandre writes in. He says, hello, Mumbaroom and Chris and Angela. Yay. He says, why do all of you want to switch to Wayland so freaking badly? When replacing X, do you not want to replace it with something more useful? Wayland throws all usefulness and even usability 
out the freaking window. In Wayland, security trumps all always. Performance does too, it seems. Ironically, most implementations will probably not even support online updating. And in the core of Wayland, we have only very basic functionality, drawing onto a buffer, support for input devices, and some very limited output protocols. Wayland is inherently inflexible. If anyone wants to add additional functionality, they must do it in the compositor, the window manager, and then publish the protocol. If this is, if this is even up to all other compositors, window managers, and et cetera, to then support that protocol. What if the two compositor teams and the window manager teams write two different protocols to do the same thing? Naturally, there's some basic functionality missing in Wayland. Wayland does not support screenshotting. Wayland doesn't support screen recording. Global hotkeys, clipboards, I think, or gamma correction. All has to be done in the compositor. And this is just very basic functionality. But to finish it all off, Wayland is not network transparent. And networking is a nightmare. Don't you realize that this is the future, and in the future, more devices are interconnected and network-oriented, not less? Security, schmierty, performance, smormance. Mandre. Wow. This guy does not like Wayland. What is Wayland? Like, what would you compare it to? Wayland's what's going to get the, just in real simple terms, Wayland's is what's going to get stuff up on your screen. That's what, this going to get the graph. This right here, this is, a, a this, is an, this is an X11 graphics environment, right? So oh. when I move this window around on my screen, that's X11 that's, that's drawing that on my screen. Wayland's going to replace that. But it's basically a whole new way to do it. Totally new, totally new work needs to be done on the, on the desktop environment ends and on their compositors. And Mandre brings up some good points. The stuff that comes – so with X, you get some of the stuff just built in. By having X, you get some of these features. And with Wayland, you have to write some of your own. Hmm. Uh, and so on that – going to not ever offer those? Or is it just because it's currently not available as a standard, stable release well, anyway? Well, because the Wayland developers stuff. think that it's not up to the server to do that stuff. It's up to the clients to do that stuff. You want to do screen recording? It should be the client. That, it should be the compositor that does that, not the backend infrastructure. Hmm. Oh, the uh, the client is definitely the thing that should take care of something when it comes to user facing interaction. But no, any keyboard or mouse or interactions with hardware to the compositor. I'll go through KMS and UV Dev. It is kernel. Then it goes up through the compositor, which it then filters out throughout the Wayland clients. And did you guys see a friend of the show, Martin, the KWIN developer, uh, just said after years of work, this was uh, two days ago, master, the master KWIN branch now has become a proper Wayland compositor. So uh, KWIN and GNOME both have uh, Rock and uh, Wayland support. And they're doing those things in the compositor. That's where they're getting it done at. And so there must be a benefit, right? Because yeah. why would is is it just a way to redo something I and think, potentially I don't, make it I better? I could be wrong. I think the real true benefit is they're trying to build something that can last twenty years. And so if you build mm-hmm. some of this stuff in on how we do it in two thousand and fourteen or two thousand and fifteen, well then in twenty twenty five or whatever we're twenty thirty when we're using it, maybe we want a completely different way to record our screens. If you do that in the desktop environment, that's and that's just my generic way of saying the compositor or whatever. That's much more nimble. You can make the change there much quicker than pushing it out to the server that affects every Linux distribution on the planet. Right. So instead of just affecting a desktop environment. Hmm. That's, that's also what I the think. X, the X architecture is kind of from the 80s, which is based on x86. So all the code is very, very old, and it's all insecure by default. Wayland is trying to be secure by default, mm-hmm. and that's why it's a little bit hard for Wayland programs at the moment since everything is a little bit immature yeah. uh-huh. in order to communicate between each other. Yeah, it is. that's basically the issue is like sometimes the security is just a little too tight and it makes doing what they're trying to do a little impossible. Um, I don't know. Didn't one of the X developers themselves that is working on Wayland denounce how X was doing their own code yeah. itself? Yeah. And then another benefit I see is that if it's not on, it's not on 
if the client needs to change and adapt, then Wayland doesn't need to change and adapt. That way, they ha- kind of future-proof right. it in right. a way. Right. So if something changes, you don't have to worry about the, the graphics layer. And then the other advantage, much. too, is if you're building for a very extreme, unique use case, something like um, you know uh, an embedded device that's maybe like a small embedded screen that's a presentation mode, you don't have to modify the entire back-end infrastructure to accommodate this one-off. You just build that into that uh, compositor that that particular device is using. I mean, it makes sense to me, but it's a big transition. Yeah, Q5 says, producer Q5 says, uh, wait till Wayland gets rolled into systemd. I am. I'm hoping they roll in the kernel. You'll enroll in Wayland. Just get all one big Linux D. Well, we'll call it the D. That'll <laughs> <laughs> be good. <laughs> I hope I get the D. <laughs> Hey, you know what? That's a shot, everybody. Hello, take a shot. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, f- for me, it's, uh, I don't understand the problem because um, the Yola phone already uses Valent and they already have all the features like uh, yep. screen sharing and all that. So, we, so it's actually not that big of an issue yeah. to implement it. And so, right, I, I guess think. in practice it, hasn't, it actually security, hasn't been that bad. Yeah, and security is, you know, with all the like NSA stuff, I think security needs a focus because really if you read some of the recent breaches, uh, you know, taking security as a backseat because of uh, usability is not a good thing. It's just, it's not a big deal, I think, basically, if you look at it this right. way. Oh, and you, there is a point where you have to start, you have to start taking it, yes, security seriously. Um, and, and you have to start making compromises. And I also think that, uh, we sometimes get trapped in dogma thinking things will never change, that we can't uh, build a better system once we've built the first version. Uh, there's things as 2.0 and 3.0 releases, and, uh, things can change. Uh, before we go any further, we have, uh, I have some things I want to dig into with Angela and her switch to Linux. Uh, but first I want to mention our first sponsor, and that's Ting. You know, go to linux.ting.com right now if you would. That'll, uh, support this show and give you a $25 discount. Linux.ting.com. Ting's mobile that makes sense. We've been using Ting for more than a couple of years. We've saved over $2,000 by switching to Ting. You can find out how much you would switch by using their savings calculator right there on their homepage when you go to Linux.ting.com. Ting is truly mobile that makes sense because there's no contract and there's no early termination fee because there's no contract. And then you just pay for your usage, your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. And whatever bucket you fall into, that's what you pay. And it's really easy because it's just a flat $6 for the line. Yep, and you can bring your own device. Yeah, really nice. And if you bring your own device, you'll get a $25 service credit by visiting linux.ting.com. And that'll probably pay for more than your first month. Mm -hmm, At least. And they've got GSM networks now and CDMA. So you can bring over the iPhone or your favorite Android phone. Uh, We've got an iPhone on Ting. We've got an HTC One on Ting and a Nexus 5 on Ting. And they're just all great because we only pay for our usage. Mm-hmm. We're on Wi-Fi a lot, so we're saving a ton on data and voice minutes, yep. which is we really... Use, we use one for our nanny. You know? Yeah. Like, it's a nice little perk benefit for her that she doesn't have to pay for her cell phone. Yeah, and we look like we big do. ballers. Meanwhile, it's $6 for that <laughs> big line. Ballers, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and and I, can, I can communicate with her whenever I need to. That's key. You know, like, yeah. that, that was the most important thing is that she had a good, reliable phone and mm-hmm. phone service. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. So, and you can, uh, the other nice thing too, is once you get somebody on Ting, uh, they're set because if they ever run into any kind of problems, Ting has no whole customer support. So you just call them at one eight five five ting ftw and a real human being answers your phone. And I, I like that. They, they're there, they're set up, they're ready to answer your problems. I think that's a pretty nice perk. Uh, they also have all the features you'd expect, like voicemail, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, three-way calling, call forwarding, all the other features that you might want, but then a whole bunch more. Like you can turn devices on and off if you don't want to pay for them. This is really slick. Like if you get one of Ting's MiFi devices, mm-hmm. because it's $6 to have data in your pocket. And then if you're going to go a couple of months where you don't need data in your pocket, you just go into the Ting dashboard and just turn it off. 
That's awesome. Isn't that great? Yes. And you just turn it back on. And now the thing has CDMA and GSM coverage. You can roll over to either one. Just make sure you get a device that's capable of doing that. Or just for the cost, you just get one on each. Or if you just have a device already, you can get a $9 GSM SIM card from Ting and enable that. And it's good to go. It's so straightforward. They it, also have a social presence, um, at least yeah. Twitter and Instagram. I yeah. believe they're TingFTW yeah. on both. And so. they're on YouTube as well. They have links at the top of their website, and they're putting out great videos all the time. They have a really active uh, community at help.ting.com and on Reddit. Mm-hmm. There's a Ting oh, subreddit yeah. mm-hmm. that uh, is always really good. I visit that from time to time because I'm kind of a Ting enthusiast. So I'm always kind of checking out to see what's going on. Like, you know, hey, where's the, how's, the, how's the edge being tested? Anybody Firefox OS devices on this kind of thing? It's really nice. It's truly no BS mobile service. They have a whole range of devices from like $50 devices up to like the high end, like Nexus 6 and the Moto X2 and, um, you know, the Samsung devices, all the really great devices over on Ting. And then you get that amazing dashboard. If you go to linux.ting.com, that's linux.ting.com, you get to put Linux in your URL bar. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's why I would go. But then you also get a $25 discount and you support the Linux Unplugged show. Linux.ting.com. Huge thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. You guys rock. Ding, ding. Okay, Andrews. Let's get real here about your switch to Linux real quick. And I wanted to kick it off with an email that we got him from Kenny about your switch. Oh, I you haven't heard this. this I know so I'm, I'm ready to be beat up. No, see, Ange, uh, you don't even probably fully understand, but there's been quite a bit of controversy and debate on this show about your choice of Arch over Ubuntu. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you didn't really Do choose. they think I have a choice? Now? Well, uh, <laughs> see, uh, Noah and I spent a lot of... Noah, do, okay. you, do you have like a 10-second recap you can give Ange about how we almost went with Ubuntu and then we went with Arch? So, essentially, um, based on the hardware that we're originally going to set you up with, uh, it, a long story short, it ended up being more beneficial to go with Arch due to some of the limitations of the installer of the alternative uh, distro. And then once you got it, and we saw how excited you were, and the chat room was more or less celebrating the fact that you were using quote-unquote real Linux, not, <laughs> none of this uh, Ubuntu stuff. Wow. And then we saw your reaction to that um, when we went back to redo it due to some of the issues we ran into the second time around, again, um, with the, the the alternate distros, we again, or I rather, again, opted to go with <laughs> uh, with Antergos. Um, and one, that kept everything uh, a similar experience to what you had on the original MacBook that we gave you to what you had on the, the Lenovo. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lenovo she the, uses here in studio. Right. But uh, then the other side of that was there was a lot of people, and I would have been one of them, honestly. I, if I'm being honest about it, a week before I got there, if somebody would have said, uh, we're going to switch my wife to Linux and she's never used Linux before, what we, what should she use? The last answer that would have left my mouth was Archer and Ante- er, er, Antergos. And it wasn't until we actually got there. And it's one of those things that if you weren't there in the studio doing it with us, then you won't understand why we made that choice. hey So uh, Kenny writes in and he says, in the past, I would have, kind of like Wimpy did, had suggested that you go with Ubuntu uh, or one of its many flavors for Angela. But now I might agree with your current decision to go with Antigros Gnome. I had, I've had my girlfriend's Acer's laptop on Antigros Gnome for more than a year without issue as has been the same with my own laptop. I did the initial setup, which involved no more or minor hassle than you would expect from setting up Linux on general hardware. I don't monitor the updates. She just pushes the button, and when the notification comes in, much the same as I do in fact now, it just provides a nice and easy option for updates. And if anything does go majorly wrong in the future, well, then I'll just boot off a USB stick, transfer files off, and reload if I can't fix it directly. There's no difference to what I did when we were both on Ubuntu. Plus, being on the latest stable kernel has fixed far more issues than it has introduced. 
I can't think of any negatives, actually, at the moment. Because Antigross is extremely finessed skin on Arch, it gives you a gorgeous GNOME desktop right from the get-go, whereas Ubuntu GNOME doesn't. From the login screen through to the desktop, it's just lovely. Angela has already been impressed by that, and I would. I venture, I would easily notice the difference between GNOME 3.14 and 3.16. The whole notification thing's for start. Arch Linux provides an engine, but GNOME Antigross provides that polish, and that beautifully veneered wheelhouse. I think this is the future for Ubuntu as well, with an Antigross-like shock absorber over the raw power of Linux. I wouldn't have gone with Elementary precisely because it's a Mac-like interface. It's like dressing a wolf up as as a sheep. It may look soft and cuddly, but sooner or later it's going to bite you. When something looks the the same, you expect it to be the same. And Linux is definitely not OS X. Thank you, Torvalds. Aye, aye. Kenny. So Kenny thinks it was a good call for you to go with Antigross, Andrews. And so you and I were kind of discussing a couple of issues that you ran into. And you had some questions you wanted to bounce off the mumble room and see if they had some answers for you. Do you kind of remember what yeah. they were? Well, yeah. I, f- I forgot that I was going to be put on the spot. I should have... Um, Written them down? Yes, because yeah. I was, uh, we were walking just before the show. Yeah, I'll, and I'll write them down. I was like, you... here are the things that I... Yeah, so, yeah. all right. So the first one was, uh, there are constant updates. Yeah, updates. And... <clears throat> I feel inclined to, you know, like it has a little pop-up and I, I feel inclined to touch it. Well, because, you know, it's a <laughs> Yoga 3 touchscreen. Um, I just don't even go near them because I have no idea what they're going to do or mm. what needs to happen. And as it turns out, we did some updates and uh, it did like the first part of a Wi-Fi update and it broke the Wi-Fi so it couldn't get the second update. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a Broadcom wireless driver. And then I was stuck at home without, yeah. without being to, able to connect to the wait, Wi-Fi. She had to wait for me to get home with my USB Ethernet adapter so we could finish the updates. Yeah, that, that's the that's the first bump you run into, yeah. really. Um, and uh, I don't know. I'm on the fence on the updates. Yeah. Because <laughs> see, with Linux, not see, like with OS X when you get an update, it's updating like iTunes or it'll update OS X or Safari, mm-hmm. right? Right. But with Linux, every single program gets updated from everybody. Yeah. So all of your apps constantly are getting updated, not just... Yeah. So it's not just OS updates. It's right. like a new version of the editor, a new version of LibreOffice, a new version of Firefox. So right. there's more reason to update, too. Yeah. I do um, – I, somebody asked if I like the Numix theme or whatever, mm-hmm. but did, that's one that you to, changed. I yeah. changed it to Evil Pop. Yeah. So we changed it because it was kind of hard. Like, So I got – I'm using, I'm using Evil Pop on my screen right here. So I ordered it. a mouse because – um, I needed a smaller one, a more portable one, because yeah. I take this, you know, here mm-hmm. and um, or anywhere really. And I was able to find the settings to slow down the mouse cursor because oh my gosh, like it, it was, was flying going- off the screen. <laughs> but I couldn't tell that there was actually a circle to dial down the speed. Like I just guessed that there was, and um, so we did change the theme, and I like the new theme better. Yeah. But let's see what else. Um, I plugged in my iPhone. Oh, yeah. Okay. So hold on. You're going too fast. Oh, I'm sorry. So let's stop right there. So constant updates. Mumble Room, uh, what's the consensus? Do you guys think that we should just let Angela go at it and update? Or do you think she should wait for me to come in about once a week and install the updates? See, the second th- thing. Really? Yeah, yeah second I would thing. Step, right? wait. wait. I would yeah, have I, to say that, yeah, if, have a more experienced user guide her through the updates for a while. Once she gets the hang of it, then hand her the reins. Yeah, I guess I could no. watch. Yeah, uh, I, I, that's what she I said. would 
my vote would be that uh, that she waits for you because oftentimes, how often have you had that situation where you get the call from the user and they say, uh, "My computer isn't working." Well, what happened when it happened? And then they try to describe it to you, and you ask them a very a, a very poignant question: Did you see an error that that resembled this, or did this come up on the screen? I don't, well, know. I don't know. A bunch of text scrolled across the screen. Oh, come on! Give me some credit I'm, here. I'm not saying that you're the person that's going to do that, but I'm just saying if 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 text comes up on the screen or or an error message is presented that doesn't make make sense to you, it might. It's 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 muscle memory. When we see stuff that we've seen a million times before, it it stands out to us. And yeah. if that doesn't mean something to yeah. you, it might something right. that would be very very important may not stand out to you. So I'm thinking you know, that's a good idea. Just disable update alerts. Well, no, that'd I was, be nice. I, well, I suppose we could do that. I was just thinking like every Friday you and I could just do them or something. Yeah, I could just sit there and, after Tech Talk today. Yeah, yeah. And then we so so sorry. So I have an alternative. What about um, having certain. Like giving Angela a list of packages that, like, if she sees the package like Linux and uh, Broadenware, then she doesn't need. But everything else, she hmm. can update. So, yeah, I like, suppose we'd have to. We just have to, provide I, her at least like five packages that she cannot update, and that's it. I'm thinking maybe, but I'm thinking mm-hmm. that list or, would probably change. Yeah, uh, you can always put it uh, the Pac-Man hold you know don't update this yeah, package yeah I suppose so in the pacman.com yeah I think I I don't think I I don't think we need to go that far I think just waiting once a week and doing that and if it breaks then we'll talk about it mm-hmm. and we'll let people know mm-hmm. uh, alright so there's answer number one now here's number two and I don't know if we, we may be able to get this cracked for you maybe I don't know we don't have a lot of iPhone users in here but the number two problem that Angela has run into Angela go is plugging in my iPhone using the USB to lightning adapter it, I, I went ahead and plugged it in. Nothing automatically opened, which was actually kind of refreshing, to be honest. <laughs> because you just hate it when stuff just pops up when you plug in your stuff? Because when I plug in my phone to a MacBook, it opens iPhoto and iTunes. Yeah, and the stuff just goes and, crazy. It's like, and whoa! iTunes automatically starts Pulling in for, syncing and yeah. updating, and, and I don't really prefer that. I'd like to be able to tell it, do it. But, but, but you're, not, you're, <clears> you're not looking to sync music, necessarily. You're looking to pull your photos off. Well... Um, the camera roll is the number one thing, right? That's the biggest thing. I do like I do like play counts because there is a, a degree of accuracy mm-hmm. to play counts mm-hmm. in customizing mm-hmm. playlists, mm-hmm. but not super important anymore. Um, yeah, so I opened um, Shuttle Shutter. So Lord Shadow is saying if we install Lib Mobile Device, it might support it. I wonder if. Ooh. Uh, yeah, Lib. Okay. Mobile device. I'll take a look at that. I forgot the name of the photo program. Oh, uh, Shotwell. Shotwell. Yes. Yeah. So um, I opened Shotwell, and I was pleased this, to see that it there, showed right? yeah. a mobile device attached. Um, my iPhone. So I clicked on it, and it said importing pictures okay. in the middle of the screen. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, but no. What happened? It. Well, the thing is, I don't want it to automatically import. I don't want all my pictures up and you know yeah. up in there. Oh, really? But, Hello. Because <laughs> also, like at first, I was like, oh crap. And then I saw in the bottom right-hand corner where it said <clears throat> import selected or import yeah, okay. uh, all. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, okay, good. So it, it's not going to automatically import, even though it kind of looks like telling it me that it's importing. Yeah. Um, it just stays there. I just left it there for a while. It never actually it, pulls them off? No. It, it sees them, but it doesn't no, pull them off? it doesn't see them. It sees the device. It doesn't preview oh. any pictures. And there's no, like, way to know if there's any pictures there. Um, and those buttons aren't clickable. You know, import all or import some so, hmm, yeah, okay. And uh, Lord Shadow, you say, uh, yeah, here we go. You got something the ArchWiki on the eye and hooking up the iPod. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. So, <clears throat> one thing that I would like to um, 
say that I like is when I open up my laptop, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to get it to the password screen other than to use my finger and, and swipe pull up. the screen up. Yeah. yeah you swipe like that? Up. I do. I do. It's so nerdy, but and it's, and it's out of, uh, you know, necessity because I don't know how to Space get it. Space bar. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. I think I've tried Escape before, but it didn't work. Anyway, yeah. so um, so I really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, that is cool having the touch screen, huh? Yeah. I'm surprised you like that so much. Yeah. Now, I know we had a third issue. I know there was a third item, but I just don't remember what it was. Um, oh, I do remember what it was. What? Um, and this is, uh, this one may be one for knowing you to talk about. The problem you had when you opened up your bill spreadsheet. Oh, yeah. Yes. So uh, this isn't LibreOffice hate, Noah. <laughs> Brace but yourself, Noah. I, I have my Dropbox set up, and I was going to just sync some files, but it, it's actually harder than I expected. Um, I opened up my bill spreadsheet, which I go off of, like... Religiously? Religiously, yeah. yeah. That's how you track everything. Yes. and With color codes and all yeah, kinds of stuff. And first I got uh, a couple errors, and I don't know what they were. Ha, ha, ha. It said something like unnamed.odt not found or something uh-huh, like that. Okay, like It, it okay. gave a file name. Uh-huh, and, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh-huh. so I got like three or four of those, and then uh, it, it ended up opening up the spreadsheet, which is good, but all the formatting was gone. Now, is this, uh, when you say that it says one file wasn't found, it makes me wonder. Unnamed. Uh, do you have mu- Unnamed. Unnamed.odt. Do, do you have multiple, f- was the spreadsheet, is it connected to other spreadsheets by chance? No, I don't do that. Okay. That is um, complicated. So, what when you say all the formatting is gone, are you talking about, like, text formatting, or are you talking about, like, uh, like the formulas? Like the color coding. Color shading. All- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I haven't uh, I haven't worked extensively with uh, with with very very complicated spreadsheets, but if you uh, if 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 there's a way to strip out the uh, anything that's anything that's sensitive data, and if you could send me a copy of that spreadsheet, I would you know, if I could look at it, I'd probably be able to tell you why it's not working correctly or find out the answer for you. Okay. Right. Well, and I actually I have a solution to it, and that is to use. Some kind of online. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. No, what do you think of like her using Office three sixty five for this kind of thing? Yeah, actually, Office three sixty five is is as a, as a Linux user and as as, as somebody who supports uh, you know free and open source software. I, for me, I have to have an actual Office suite because that's just the way I prefer to work. But I can sell three uh, Office three sixty or three sixty five or whatever they call it. Uh, mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no problem no, because yeah. a it works flawlessly on Linux. It really does. And two, if you think about it, the value there if you're paying ninety nine dollars a year versus the whatever it was three or four hundred dollars, you would be upgrading your Office uh, software every four years anyway. Right? Oh, it's not free. I don't think no, it's, it's free. Like, I think I think that there's a basic version like that you can use for free, but I think it's ninety nine bucks a year. <laughs> well, I guess yeah, it's ten bucks a month unless you pay. Anything. I guess if, if it's forbidden. Bonsai Joe says Mint.com, not Mint Linux. Yeah, I I do use Mint.com for Jupiter Broadcasting and our personal. We I've been using it since uh, like two thousand nine, I think. Yeah, we've been using it for. Yeah. A long time. We're early before adopters of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely oh, yeah, way yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. Angela, yeah. have you tried uploading that uh, spreadsheet to Google Docs and see what it does with it? Um, no. They because, would read all of the so things? So the thing is, yeah, yeah, it is, I mean, it's my bill spreadsheet, but the the thing is, I I tried to use Google Docs as my thing, but it is so pared down and limited that it just, I just hate it. But I have started using it for like sponsor tracking and host payment tracking. So 
I am dealing with it to a degree. It's and just I'm, limited. Yeah, I might be able to. And, and converting it like so that I could use it in Excel, it, it made it a little complicated. Mm. But anyway, yeah, I was yeah. thinking that if I used uh, you know some sort of web-based program instead or, or solution, then I wouldn't have this. I could, go, I, could, I could run Ubuntu next week if I wanted to. Uh, look at this. Wimpy <laughs> is just uh, giving us the command. I'm going to copy this right here. He just gave us the command to install mobile support in Arch. Yay. Yeah, so that should work pretty good. Well, yeah. then I should have oh, an update uh, for you guys next um, week then. By chance, have any of you tried Caligra Sheets, the QT version no. of the spreadsheet program instead no. of the LibreOffice version? No, no, I haven't. So the, la- the last Mac user that we converted to <laughs> Linux, he's, um, uh, I don't don't see him in the, the room here now, but uh, he actually switched from... Uh, from Microsoft Office over to Calegre and said that it worked flawlessly for hmm. him. And he, I know he does uh, ha- a lot of spreadsheet. He, a lot of his work is spread, sp- spreadsheet centric. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So the thing is, like, after I opened it, I was afraid of mo- modifying it in any way because it's it's my live Dropbox. You know, saved there. It's not like a copy. I was afraid that if I modified anything and saved it, that it would drop the formatting. And if I open it elsewhere, it would it would not have it anymore. And Wimpy, you have a, a suggestion maybe to help sort of bring some stability to the Arch setup? Well, yeah, you were saying that um, you've got a Broadcom Wi-Fi device mm-hmm. in that Yoga 3, mm-hmm. and it was whilst you were doing a kernel mm-hmm. update that you lost Wi-Fi. True. So I would suggest moving to the LTS kernel in Arch Linux on Angela's machine. Okay. Because that way you're not going to ha- encounter as many kernel updates, far, far fewer, in fact. And therefore, you know, it's just the applications and, and the utilities that are, are rolling then. And I think there's far less opportunity for breakage in that configuration. That's probably a good point. Uh, and and really, there's really no, it's probably no disadvantage with her machine. I don't think her hardware requires like 3.18 or 4.0 or whatever it is, but... <clears throat> Yeah, I guess. He actually does make a good point on that. If uh, she's on the LTS kernel with the last update, she might have an actual more stable machine yeah. because you have less updates. Yeah, I like that. That is a pretty good idea, Wimpy. That's a nice little touch. I'm going to write that down to a move over the, the latest LTS kernel in Arch is 3.14.41, hmm. so it's not okay. like ancient by okay. any means. LTS kernel. All right, I'm taking notes for you, Andrews. You like that? And what, what you also need to do is if you've got any drivers, kernel drivers, you need to look for the uh, dash LTS suffix on the drivers you're using. Right, that is true. And yeah. that binds the two together, and yes. then you're you're good. Yes, and they get updated together. <laughs> All right. So oh, any yeah. other things? Um, greater or creator, I don't know. Just pointed out that if I have it saved as .xlsx, that might be that might be making it buggy. Oh yeah, and, and you that- save as .xls. Oh. Yes, yes. I almost, almost forgot about that. The XLSX and uh, yeah. the, the XL, yeah. the, whatever that file format actually is, doesn't work well in, open, in LibreOffice. That if you have sense. the older right. version file format saved, then it'll work flawlessly. Yeah. It's the newer Microsoft formats that's got some sort of proprietary garbage inside of the coding for the save files that corrupts it and anything else. Yeah. I... Uh, I think uh, I think that's good. So, Andrews, will you uh, give us an update in the future on uh, how it yeah. goes for you? Yeah, definitely. You, you keep us posted. Uh, and you know, let's talk about something else you've been using pretty heavily since your switch to Linux. Wine. Uh, 
<laughs> no, unfortunately for you, not I know. Actually. I, had, I actually just ordered a case because it disappeared from all the grocery stores. So Your I, chocolate wine. I had to order a case online yeah. that's twelve bucks. Chat room. Yes, she does drink chocolate wine. It is yes. very true. Choco vine, Cho- chocolate wine, choco vine. It is. It is. Creamy Belgian chocolate with with some sort of probably cheap red wine Dutch. mixed in there. Yeah, yeah, that, oh yeah, Dutch chocolate. No, you've been using okay. our new DigitalOcean droplet with our Minecraft. Oh server yes, on I have. Yeah, you have. Heck yeah, yeah. Let's talk about DigitalOcean real quick before we shift gears here. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. We've got a few of them now, and one of them is a fairly beefy one running Minecraft that Angela mm-hmm. and my son are playing on all the time now. Yep, it's, it's really pretty cool. awesome. And you know, one of the things that's really great about DigitalOcean is it starts at only five dollars a month. And you can get started in 55 seconds. So I knew for a really great price and really no time at all, I could get my own droplet spun up. And at $5, you're going to get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. I just knocked it up a couple, so I'm paying like 20 bucks a month right now, I think, or something. And the reason why I went with my DigitalOcean droplet because I wanted I wanted like lots of transfer and lots of storage and lots of RAM. And I was looking around at like the hosted Minecraft solutions. And no downtime. Yeah, no downtime, too. Always running. Yeah. And, you know, the hosted Minecraft solutions that are dedicated for this are way more expensive, way less control, and I don't get to SSH in and get a command line. And Mm -hmm. with DigitalOcean, I can take snapshots. I can manage it. So if you guys want me to back something up before you make a big change, we can do that. It's really easy. Uh, And, you know, I think the other thing is is we have a a international audience, and a lot of you are in other parts of the world. And Mm -hmm. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, Germany, and London. They have a really great brand new one in Germany that has just incredible connectivity, 40 gigabit E to each hypervisor, their fastest SSDs yet. Uh, it's really, though, uh, it's a great service because for the value, for the price, you can get started in 55 seconds and get up there and you can do anything you need to do. You own this box. You get root access. There's an HTML5 console. It's based on Linux using KVM as the virtualizer. SSDs throughout the entire stack, so you get incredible disk I.O. No longer need those fiber-attached SCSI RAID arrays with the 10,000 RPM drives. Those are gone. And now you can create something locally on your own machine in a Docker container and push it up to your own droplet or set up a machine up there and DigitalOcean has an amazing interface to make it all possible. It's super intuitive. This control panel freaking rocks. It sets the bar. Nobody else can touch it. People are trying to rip it off, but they can't. Every time they try to do something, DigitalOcean does it better. And, and a point to that, they just rev their API. The new version of their API came out that allows you to take their straightforward dashboard and bring all of that functionality on your own. You can take it with you. You can write it into your applications. You can take advantage of the community-written applications. You can snap it into your management infrastructure. You can just write a quick couple of lines of Bash script or Python or Ruby code to do something like take a snapshot of your machine before you do a system update. And then when you're on that DigitalOcean management where you get the HTML5 console, you can do full DNS management, you get snapshots and you can do templates. You get one-click installations of things like Docker and GitLab and Ruby on Rails. All of this is Linux technology, open source stuff. It's really awesome code. And go check out Dooku. It's one of the projects they contribute to make this possible. They also work with upstream distributions like CoreOS and, and FreeBSD to make sure you get the best experience of those on DigitalOcean. $5 a month, people. And when you use our promo code DOUNPLUGGED, DOUNPLUGGED, that's all one word, it's lowercase. It's going to give you a $10 credit. You can try out that $5 rig two months for free. Go get your own Linux box up in the cloud with crazy, crazy fast access, SSD drives. It's a real server that you get to control, and it's super neat. There's so many great things you can do with it. I've got an own cloud rig, a BitTorrent sync rig, a, a Minecraft rig. I've got machines we've used uh, for production purposes. We've got a droplet we use to bounce video signals off for remote hosts like Noah during Linux Action Show. There's so many use cases for DigitalOcean. They can be your back-end infrastructure or just use them for hourly testing. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DOUNPLUGGED. Get a $10 credit. DOUNPLUGGED. You just apply it to your account. You can do it anytime. In fact, if you created your account and you forgot to apply DOUNPLUGGED, go use it. Go apply it. You'll get that $10 credit. DO 
Unplugged over at DigitalOcean.com. And a big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. You guys are rocking. Rocking. And Angela's been using that droplet like a fool. <laughs> uh, so Popey didn't make it here today, it doesn't look like. Uh, but Heavens and I, uh, Heavens Revenge and I wanted to talk about uh, this story. Um, the, Ubuntu has developed uh, Ubuntu Snappy Core. We've talked about it before. And it has, in this last week, taken up a ton of traction. This is a brand new version of Ubuntu that's not even really fully baked and made uh, shipping on anything as far as I know. But today, uh, Canonical and Microsoft and GE and Acer announced a partnership uh, where they're going to become allies and work on the Internet of Things devices, including, from GE's standpoint, a frickin' fridge that runs Ubuntu. <laughs> a frickin' fridge. A fridge that runs okay. Ubuntu. Okay. A Linux fridge. And uh, they're all running off of Ubuntu Snappy Core. Ubuntu Snappy Core is the transactionally updated version of Ubuntu. You install an update. It, it installs that update to a new partition. Why, why are we shocked that a fridge is running Linux? Like, because it shouldn't be able to. I mean, like, why is that? Why is that? Like, oh, my gosh. Why does it need to? Uh, my point is, I think the Internet oh. of Things is a bit of a joke, but okay. But so, but I'm glad they're choosing a good distribution. I mean, at least they're choosing Linux, and you know, so they're using this this transactionally updated version of Ubuntu called Ubuntu Snappy. And the way it works is, you install an update, it writes those updates to a new file system. You reboot, it boots into that new file system. If it fails to boot, it just boots into the old one. It's kind of like a guaranteed update system. So that's Ubuntu Snappy Core. That's how you update the system. Now there's these new packages coming out called Snaps. They're a new version of click packages. We're taking click packages and we're calling them snaps. This is such a cute language. <laughs> <laughs> it's very adorable. Clicks and snaps and wow. But uh, uh, I, I just I, – I look at this and I'm starting to get a little glazed over. And heavens, I know you wanted to mention uh, that the snaps – people might have a, the, maybe a bad interpretation of – how snap packages work, because I think people are assuming they're transactionally updated packages. That means you'll never have a, a package that fails to install, etc. Do you want to jump in and, and sort of – you've been digging into this. You've been looking specifically about how Snappy Core is architected, and I know you have some observations here. Oh, yeah. I've been looking at this for quite a few days, and Canonical is probably the worst source of information that you could have found in order to understand this system. But they actually have, let's say, one version of a – piece of software it's all static and installed under a version number directory in the file system then after that they just by when they mean transactional as the version numbers change in the directory structure they change the symlink as a current to the different version number in the file system pretty simple so really. when they mean transactional they just mean changing a symlink right and to the other one. everything statically in there so this is a very bloated system. Because everything is within this package. You mean everything like if the pro if a program requires a library, instead of using the library that's already on the computer, it pulls down that library with itself. It brings its own version of the library, kind of like the PBI oh, system yes, does. Completely. There's no reuse of system, barely any reuse of system libraries. They're all self-contained packages, which are statically compiled and possibly in a little but, LXC container. But, but what you're looking into, snap packages themselves are not transactional. Like when I install an own cloud snap and then I want to go to own cloud 802, that's not a transactional update. In the traditional sense of transactional, no, because there's stuff that can fail within a certain package. To me, transactional means all or nothing. So even like a, a file can, be, can fail to be put onto the file system. That traditionally is not transactionally consistent. Okay, but but where it is transactional, and I'm not sure if this is implemented yet or if it's on the roadmaps, but it was certainly presented. If you take that own cloud example and you upgrade from 
own cloud 801 to own cloud 802 and there's a SQL schema change it will make that schema change on the database and update and then if you find a problem with that version and you roll it back to 801 those schema changes are undone mm. and your and and your database what's tracking the schema the, changes what rolls those schema changes back uh, I haven't looked yeah. into it in that much detail, but I know that this was the aspiration for, for what it can do. They would have to be looking at the block changes on the system, or at least copying everything, like a database completely separately between one version and the other. Or they have to do the block level block level different, like differential. Yeah, and maybe that'll be um, achievable. And that would be only by over. what? ButterFS. Yeah. Or, and, or OverlayFS. Right, or but, they're, like but their, their current implementation is using Extended 4. Yeah, so, they require extended for at the moment. But I, I, I spent some time talking to some of the devs about this, and it, it, whilst I learned a lot, it wasn't clear to me how much of what I was being told is w- what's available now versus where the aspirations are. But I very much did get the impression that there's still some work for Canonical to do to flesh this out as a project. And whilst they're encouraging people to get involved... Um, I was asking, well, you know, could I build one of the derivative flavors of Ubuntu based on Snappy right. in the same way they're right. proposing to do for um, uh, 15.10? They're right. going to have a, yeah. the, their plan is to have a desktop image of Unity Next using the Snappy packaging. And I was kind of encouraged to maybe not dive into it that deeply just now, but to follow what was going on with Ubuntu's developments with their desktop. Um, and certainly start look at packaging individual applications. But this is the other interesting thing about Snappy. What you consider a package traditionally and what is a Snappy package could either be the same thing or very different. So if you take um, something like um, the Mate desktop that's made up of lots of different components, such of, as the Mate session manager and the Mate power manager and the Kaja file manager and so on and so on, mm-hmm. Each of those are separate packages at the moment. But in the Snappy landscape, the Mate desktop, the whole thing, could be a Snappy package. Right. So you could move the whole desktop environment between um, major and minor version releases with a single package. Um, and this is a bit similar to what Steam are doing, right? Because mm-hmm. Steam provide effectively their run you know, sandboxed runtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, each one of those Snappy YAML files has dependencies that you can note, and then it would basically update the entire desktop, even though you're updating all of them at the same time. Yeah, and I think that that they were saying that they were going to do Unity as a single, or what would be Unity 8, Unity Next, as a single Snappy package to start with. Hmm. So the whole desktop environment will be one package. All of its libraries and and everything. Yeah, and then what they'll do is then start to tease that apart. So they'll start to pull bits apart from it. So different bits that make up the Unity desktop uh, are delivered as different in, snaps. Yeah. yeah, so they're going to start with the whole thing because that's relatively easy as far as I understood it and then start to tease it apart into sort of the subcomponents. But I think it, they'll still be bigger package. You know, that they'll be um, more like meta packages in a way, you know, but bigger runtimes. I think they are very quickly about to leave people behind. Um, I'm seeing a lot of confusion about the software center 
still. People don't understand how this fits in with that, and they're not getting the message that the software center is kind of going away. People, I think they're starting to, I think because so much is happening so fastly, so fast, you know, we're, we're, uh, fastly, uh, you know, you have Ubuntu Core, Snappy Core, then first you have Ubuntu Core, then you have Snappy Core, then you have Click Packages, now you have Snaps, and it's all happening very fast, and actually nothing's really shipped, right? But uh, terms have changed, things have been iterated, and I think a lot of people out there are kind of getting left behind a little bit. Um, but I think not this all of this kind of seems like a very compelling, interesting direction. Like they're truly doing something really unique here. And yes, snaps might be specific to Ubuntu. Um, and and there is some question about the snap backend being proprietary and the snap front end not. And that's all kind of concerning. But in some ways, I'm kind of excited because it, in a way, like you could be a couple years down the road, you could have a system depowered snap installing uh, converging desktop that canonical shipping. They could have a, they could have the most unique, compelling uh, Linux desktop out there in some respects if they pull all this off. Let alone the Internet of Things crap, which I'm not excited about. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's proprietary. Gar- you think it's proprietary? So, garbage? I don't understand it. Yeah, go ahead, Russ. No. Okay. Yes, what I don't understand is won't this intro like uh, DLL hell like you have uh, three different versions of the same library on the system because it's like an yeah, image, yeah. it's not a shared library. Well, I mean, the programs so, will be statically linked yeah. to their specific library, so they're not going to get confused, but there, you're going to have a ton of them on the file system. Yeah. But I, I feel like that's an old argument. I mean, we all have huge yeah, hard that's drives. that's what I'm saying. If this is we, how Android does it at the moment. So you know whether you know it or not. If you need shared libraries in your APKs, you don't just have the shared libraries that you need multiple times over, but you have them for the different architectures as well. Yeah. Hmm. This is also a um, very simplified version of what Bedrock is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and you for bringing that up. Right. Go ahead. This 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 is actually like the issue of it's being it's a lot more packages. Yes, but those packages are usually tiny. In comparison to how much we have as hard drives or just SSDs now are gigantic for cheap now, um, it's it's not a big deal anymore. And like if I have an extra hundred megs, ooh, whoop de doo, I have three terabytes. Yeah, it did make more sense on the time of dial-up and every, every okay, kilobyte okay. you had to transfer mattered. That I think. Is... Yeah, so size doesn't really matter. Is what we're. Gonna have. <laughs> I think it is what we're saying. Size doesn't matter, though. Well, if it's a tiny package. Yeah. It's... My guess would be they're be going to be around three times the size that we're used to now. Wow. <laughs> That's perfect, isn't it? That's great, huh? I'm uh, on board. <laughs> yeah. Uh, huh. I'm really curious to see where they go with this. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm. I don't know how they're going to pull it off and, and transition. But they got a lot of transitions coming up. They got a lot to move people through. There is a lot of terms in Linux. Yeah. There's, it's great, isn't it? No. Yeah. It's like every time I think I've got one down, then another is thrown, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, they what create, does that do? We create, new, we create like 100 new ones every week. I know, keep right? everybody confused. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, right, so, you know, I want to talk about chip. I want to talk about Ubuntu Rodent. Okay, we'll get that. We'll do that. We could probably put that on the chip. So I think this is going to be, I think you're finally, this is, this is the device that's going to save our financial situation because at a nine dollar computer you can't even you can't even balk at that that's that's something that's yeah it's it's a it's a wearable right where no. you feed no. feed an animal you keep it alive 
<laughs> I remember those. Those were the worst. Uh, no, no, not that. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you about something that's the best. That's Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and get our special 33% unplugged discount. How oh, that's that? awesome. That, yeah. is, that is awesome. I know. <laughs> linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Linux Academy freaking rocks. It's going to help you take your skill set up to the next level. So if you got like a review coming up or you want to land a client or you just want to feel better about yourself, maybe challenge yourself. Or learn all the words like I you yeah, know, learn still the need to do. Or uh, another great one is because they have seven plus distributions you get to choose from uh you can you can like migrate so like if you want to be, go from ubuntu to to centos or something like that you can they'll you choose from the seven plus distros all of the courseware automatically adjusts the labs the virtual machines automatically get set to that distro you've got self-paced courses worth over 1400 videos that you can watch they've just rolled out a whole bunch of new stuff i was just talking about this on coda radio yesterday angela but how much do you love this uh just a couple of weeks ago linux academy rolled out a new feature called nuggets oh this sounds good already it's like a tiny bits of, of sparkly wisdom from experienced sysadmin and DevOps, just like one little bit of wisdom. So it's not a whole course. It's Cliff Notes. Yeah. And like That's it just amazing. Makes, do, makes you do like a, one thing a lot better. And wow. so like here's an example of creating a Pixie boot server for automated installs, setting up single sign-ons with Active Directory and Linux. Like mm-hmm. that's a huge one for our audience. Yeah. Or what is Active Directory like from a Linux user's mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. and how do I make it work with my box? Like that's great. Here's LDAP, Ubuntu 15.04 and why we care. Configuring Route 53 DNS. Quick Quickly deploying uh, Active Directory, open file management, foreground and nutshell, system D versus system V init, setting up and using That's static great. routes. Look at all of these. Editing an ISO image DOS box, encrypting a folder, changing Linux kernel parameters, securing SSH. It goes on and on. These are all just one little quick courseware video courses. You can go in there. And then, of course, as a Linux Academy subscriber, you get access to all of the content. They just right. rolled out their new Red That's Hat certified system stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like you can you you subscribe and, and it's just kind of like um, you know Netflix it's like a Netflix subscription but yeah. for education yeah. on Linux stuff and that makes you smarter yeah and it, you can do your own pace like on the screen right did now did you know that a uh, uh, little bit ago Linux Academy announced a um, grant program they're going to do a five thousand dollar open source grant program mm-hmm. uh, for open source licensed projects people in the Linux Academy community are going to get to vote on which projects get the funding oh how do you submit uh, the, I they're going to have a page up and I'll I'll let people okay. know but here's how you can vote. I know this so far because they're rolling this out in bit by bit. They've rolled out um, a uh, a new club that you can be part of, the Founders Club, and in there is a bunch of perks like access to beta content and new stuff and new site development stuff, but also you get to vote on where the grant money goes towards. Mm. And you just have to be an open source licensed project to qualify for the grant. So there's probably a few projects in our audience that could get that money. Absolutely. And if you're going for your Red Hat Certified System Administration stuff, they've got courseware up on that and it has been a major hit on Linux Academy. Their DevOps Essentials course was just updated. 50 videos Video nuggets are now live. Uh-huh. AWS CSA Pro courses available and a lot more content coming all the time over at Linux Academy. It's so awesome. Yeah. What I love about Linux Academy is they, we've always got something new to talk about because they're constantly pushing out new stuff. And those guys just, they just must be working 24-7 over there. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Get our Linux Unplugged discount. It's a great service built by Linux and open source enthusiasts, so it really makes a difference. They're not a generic training site, right? This is what they do. Mm-hmm. That's what makes them so awesome. LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged. Now, it was actually, I think it was Popey that, or no, it wasn't Popey, but it was somebody in the mumble room that told me about Chip. Chip is the world's first $9 computer. And uh, it's it's already phenomenally successful on Kickstarter. So they don't need our attention. They've got 20,000 yeah. backers. They had a goal of $50,000. 24 days to go? <laughs> yeah. They had a goal of 50000 and they've raised a million. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So here, I want to play Chip for you. This is so cool. And, of course, it's a Linux-based computer. This is Chip. 
the world's first $9 computer. Connect over composite, VGA, or HDMI. Chip does computer things. Save your documents to Chip's onboard storage. Surf the web over Wi-Fi. Play games with a Bluetooth controller. But wait, there's more. This is Pocket Chip. It makes Chip portable. Take Chip, put it into Pocket Chip, and you can use Chip anywhere. How cool is that? Um, Very. You might have noticed retro. Chip yeah. looks a little different than every other computer. Because we built Chip to fit into your projects. And we're so excited to see what you can do with a $9 computer. Kickstarter, we need your help. To make Chip for $9, we need to buy components in extremely large quantities. Help us make the $9 computer a reality and back Chip on Kickstarter today. Thanks. Thanks. What do you think, Ange? That's adorable. The $9 computer. Well done. And you can put it into your projects. Kind of uh, looks like BMO. It does a little bit. Uh, anybody in the mumble room been following Chip or backed it even? Any backers in there? I've been following it and I nearly backed it. But not, not, you haven't <laughs> pulled the trigger, huh? How come? Um, well, the the shipping costs to the UK are mm. more than twice the mm. price of the device. Mm. And oh, yeah. The delivery estimate is September 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they have some that are uh, January and May. Oh, you pay more to get it sooner? I don't know exactly. Mm. I'm looking at that right Maybe now. It's just because of the- just it was just a bit far out, yeah. You know, yeah. So gigahertz processor, yeah. five twelve megs of RAM, four gig of storage. Got Wi Fi and Bluetooth. Uh, I I really like the uh, the the thing that you kind of poo pooed, Ange. Let's see where is it? Um, oh yeah, the, the, the Game chip, Boy looking. Yeah, the um, pocket chip. Oh, it's like a PDA. Or, but think, look at this thing. Like, so if this was a little computer for like Dylan or Abby, like it's got uh, a pencil hole, so you can put a pencil in it to hold it up, which is adorable. Come on. Oh my gosh, that, that is great. And it's got the GPIO pins available so you can hook accessory devices up to it right there at the top. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's got a five-hour battery. I think it's a pretty neat idea. I, I really want to play with one of these. I'm not going to back it because I don't, I don't have any use for it, but I am so thrilled that computers... Oh, I'm sure you do. I don't know. Find something. You think? I don't know. Hmm. It looks like it was pretty versatile. Yeah. I do have an idea that you can use it for. If you were to get a few chip devices, you can use them as use one as an LDAP server, one uses a Kerbero server, one use as a miniature file server, the one DNS server. as a DNS <laughs> server. Exactly, Have a whole network. Exactly. Oh, where's the Beowulf cluster joke? Hold on. that's The Beowulf cluster joke used to be right on tip of tongue for everybody. Uh, WW, this reminds you of the Ouya. Do you think that means it's going to flop? I don't know, but like everybody thought that Ouya was going to be like the best thing and it's going to, you know, yeah. we're going to have, yeah. you know, this portable gaming and then it just totally flopped. Yeah, we totally have one of those. <laughs> well, so, it's still in the box. It, it yeah. came out for like a day. Yeah, the Ouya was a big flop. You're right. <laughs> well, the Ouya was also, it, it, it was a flop just in general. When, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, okay, an Android console. I, I yeah. don't care. The, Does the anybody want our Ouya thing? <laughs> Ouya. Ouya. It was wrong. They, they were one, off the mark uh, with Ouya. They, yeah. This is different. This is this is more about, some. this is a component almost to a larger build. You buy this to build this into something else, I could see. Right, so there's, there's so a lot more that opportunity. Arduino and Pi doesn't. Nine dollars. I don't know to be honest. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, you, well, you get yeah. used pie for nine dollars. So you know the pie is is quite a bit bigger. It's like three yeah. three times as That's big. That's true. It is bigger, and it 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 looks like uh you know like things that you'd insert into a um 
uh, like a teddy a bear or something. Or... No, a tower. No, no, the oh. the pie. There. Oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah. This looks like this looks like something you could insert into like another toy. Like this chip looks like you could put it in the, inside a speaker. You could put it inside a teddy bear and make it do sounds. Like this is so small. It's it's as small as a VGA cable, basically. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it could be a full so Linux desktop. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. This whole area is pretty competitive. I don't think it's necessarily bad to have another competitor in this space, though. And these guys kind of have a unique approach to it. I yeah. like that they're and Arduino is also much more limited than this thing. This has a lot more already built into it, so oh. it can do things by itself. Like it has, it has a uh, you know video out and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Arduino does not. True, that's a great that. point. Yeah, that's a great point. And they're working on you guessed it, an app store for this. Oh, thing. geez, yeah. everything has apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I do like the idea of the pocket chip. I think that's my favorite part. I'm with I'm with Imacon. <laughs> like that's what really got me because like that's like okay now I'm starting to see it. I get it. Now. Jeez, <laughs> the pocket chip looks so cool. Probably because it looks like something I would have played with in the '80s. It's just <laughs> yeah, exactly it does. <laughs> why they designed it like that. Uh, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes if you guys do want to back that. Um, they, like Angela said, they've still got 24 days to go, so you got plenty of time to get in on it. Uh, they don't need your money. That's great. Though. <laughs> they don't need your money. And now they're going to be able to buy it massive quantities. I would think so. China. Yeah. Did yeah. they only ask for 50,000? Yeah. Yeah. And they got a million. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. And you know, uh hey guys, when's the last time we saw a device like this that uh where they're pimping the fact that it runs Windows? <laughs> you guys remember? Anybody? Anybody? Hold on. The pie. That calls for Yeah. Exactly. That's right. I mean, nobody. Yeah, the Raspberry Pi Two is going to eventually have some crappy, stripped-down version of Windows. Whoop-de-doo! But nobody launches their premier device on Kickstarter like this and talk about how it runs Windows or how it's going to run Windows ARM. Nobody does it. It's always Linux. It's always. Well, technically, the Pi also just said it could. Yeah. True. True. Yeah, I, I say good for them. So it's by the Next Thing Co. and it's the chip, and uh, it's Kickstarter.com, and you just search for the chip on there. It's like super successful. So here, Andrew, <laughs> why don't you take this? This is the notes, All right. and I'll read those when I get home for how, the okay. things we're going to do to your machine. Do you Sweet. haven't? Do you feel like we covered everything for you today? I mean, I know you're going to have another batch of stuff. Probably, yeah. But, um. Hmm. Do you have any final questions? Um, we just uh, need to get my second monitor. Yeah. Hooked up to yeah, because it. it has a micro HDMI out. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. we need to get input on that? Or no, I just have to get an adapter. Okay. It's no yeah. bigs. It's just uh, just gotta get a micro HDMI adapter, which we don't have one, of mm. course. All right. Well, then we will leave it right there. I uh, I should sh- you know I should probably mention before we go. Last week was uh, Matt's last episode of Linux Unplugged. He though is launching a whole new set of projects. He's like in a super creative phase phase right now over at matthartley.com to find out what he is up to. Angela, though, thank you for joining us and mm-hmm. going through the rundown. I'd love to have you guys join us next week. We do this show live on Tuesdays over at jblive.tv, 2 p.m. Pacific, on a Tuesday. But go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. And uh, then we will... Uh, what? You look at me like, what? No, no. Oh. And then, because uh, we know we have the mumble room, we've got all that stuff. We'd love to have you guys in here. Uh, mumble room, is there any other final notes you guys want to touch on before we run this week? All right, so just a little bit of details before we get out of here. Go over to linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That makes this show even better. linuxactionshow.reddit.com is where you can submit stories, you can submit feedback, you can submit anything like that that you think would make this a better show, feedback threads, things like that. Angela, why don't you plug some of the stuff you're at? People might want to follow you on the network. Okay, so I am doing Women's Tech Radio, and we are currently, we've, we've released two Linux Fest Northwest live interviews that we did. The first was with Scarlett. She works for KDE and Kubuntu. And she's a, she's a Linux for lifer. Yeah, she like, is. And that's the title of the show. So check that one out. It's a, it's a quick one. And then the most recent one, actually, I'm sorry, it actually releases tomorrow. Yeah. 
uh, Wednesday. 26. Yep, episode 26 is Andrea Frost. She was a firefighter in Alaska and injured her leg and decided Whoa. to go back to school and get a math degree so she could teach math. But one of the prerequisites was to take a computer course. And that changed her changed life. She's now, she now has a also, master's in computer science. Check out the Faux Show. Apple yes. Watch versus Android Wear. I thought that was a pretty fun episode. Yeah. Faux Show. Faux Show returned yesterday. And it's live after Linux Action Show if you catch Linux Action Show. So mm-hmm. there you go. That'd be a good one to join us on. Because then you get to watch like Linux Action Show and that show. It's a whole lot of show. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next week. Good show, Andrews. Thanks for being here. Didn't realize you had a time constraint there. Yeah, well, we just have the music play. I know. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. So, did you guys see the news about Floss Unplugged? I did a little bit. I just haven't gotten any links about it. Uh, yeah, so uh, we are working on a new show uh, that will not be hosted by myself. Um, it'll be hosted by Benjamin Carincia, I think is how you say his last name. Um, Carincia. You may have seen him on our shows before. We've interviewed him a couple of times. Uh, he uh, is uh, a developer. He speaks at a lot of conferences. He's an open source evangelist. Uh, he's a former Firefox community release manager. Uh, I think he used to be an Ubuntu member, uh, but is no longer. And uh, I've bumped into him for a while. And uh, and so uh, he and I have been sort of talking back and forth about him creating a show with him and his co-host Alex, a show called Floss Unplugged, which would be more more focused on the free and libre aspects of open source and including Firefox OS devices and things like that. So it's still early.